One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's mentally yours, from Ellen and Uh, focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly podcast about all things mental health. Today we're talking to Dave Marlin. He was the CEO of Crossroads of Southern Nevada, which was the largest addiction and rehab center in the area. He's a psychotherapist, drug and alcohol counselor, and he basically knows everything about addiction and mental health issues in the US and beyond. We're going to be talking to him today about how the pandemic has been affecting addiction issues, how to get help if you're struggling, and how to recognize if you might have a problem with drugs or alcohol. So Dave, thanks so much for joining us on Mentally Yours and welcome from across the pond. My first question was basically because obviously, as I mentioned, we're in London, you're in the US. It's such a different situation in terms of addiction and mental health and obviously the pandemic. To get started, could you give us kind of a brief overview of the reality of addiction in the US? How serious a problem is it? How widespread is it? Uh, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation calls addiction the number one health problem in the U.S. If, if we look at the, the number of prescription opiates that are consumed in the entire world, uh, the United States consumes more than 80% of them. Uh, we have, uh, you know, we've always had an alcohol problem for a percentage of our, our population, uh, we, uh, we developed a methamphetamine and a cocaine problem o- over the last uh, 20 years. And in the last five, six years, uh, no, actually even a little longer, um, an opiate problem has, has become uh, you know, our, our most serious uh, addiction challenge. Are opiates kind of the most common uh, addiction issue that you see people coming into your center with? Uh, it, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I've run, I ran the largest treatment center in Las Vegas mm-hmm. uh, for 13 years. Uh, and that was a private center. And there, absolutely opiates over my last three, four years there, opiates was the number one drug of choice 
that clients had presented to Solutions Recovery uh, with uh, the, the opiate use disorder was their primary uh, their, their primary substance. Now I work at an indigent facility uh, in in downtown Las Vegas, where more than half of our clients are homeless. And what's interesting is with this demographic, there's a much higher methamphetamine use. So I would say my number one uh, substance uh, for clients is methamphetamine with opiates and alcohol running for a, a close second place. That's really interesting. I think what was interesting that you said kind of opiates have been coming up over the last six years, because for me, it's felt like the coverage has been really recent. Like only in the last couple of years, we've kind of started to talk about the opioid crisis and this being a sudden kind of unexpected issue. But you're saying it's been building for a long time. It has. Uh, Interestingly, uh, 14 years ago, I was running the largest health insurance company in the state. And I remember in my last, my last year or two, I remember looking at pharmacy reports and we were all scratching our heads saying, what is this Oxycontin and why did it not show up two years ago? And now I remember when it crossed the $10 million mark at the insurance company um, for monthly use. So it, it really begins, began spiking, uh, 13, 14 years ago. Um, it, it became, uh, you know, newsworthy and fashionable, uh, six or seven years ago. And, and now we're, we're, uh, we're still squarely in an opiate epidemic. And then more recently, obviously we're in a pandemic, which adds in a whole, whole other issue to deal with. How has that affected addiction and the issues related to that? I was surprised. And, you know, as a a licensed alcohol and drug counselor, you know, I'm regularly reminding people that there is still an epidemic of, of drug abuse within this pandemic. However, uh, in late March, and early April, what I was surprised is the number of admissions that we were getting began to dramatically reduce. And that carried on into May. And what I realized was that I run a 182-bed facility, and people were very concerned about moving or going to a congregate living environment. Mm. So even if people did need help, they had a, a further, in addition to ambivalence to treatment, they had a, a, a further um, excuse or reason not to seek treatment because of this pandemic. So at, at first, it, uh, it deferred admissions. And now, um, you know, now that we're into August, um, we're, we're seeing, we, we saw increased alcohol use reported back in in May and June, uh, including on Time magazine, uh, you know they were, they were saying uh, you know alcohol use was was dramatically up in 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 Las Vegas, we recently decriminalized or legalized marijuana use, and there's uh, drive-through dispensaries. And as I drive around town, 
I see long lines at all the dispensaries. Um, so, so, so I know uh, from talking to my clients, from seeing these lines, from reading about the alcohol use, that there has been an increase or a spike in consumption of substances. This is exacerbated because people are working less. You know, most of the casinos were closed for about 90 days, which is our primary employment. Um, uh, plus lots of the, 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 service, uh, the service around the casinos. So we had people with more downtime. Um, in this downtime, um, there's a lot, there's a tremendous amount of anxiety and fear in, in what's happening with our federal government. We have an election coming up in November and, and whichever side you're on, and, and we are highly divided, um, there, there's, an app, there's a significant amount of apprehension on, on what's going to happen, what's going to change. Uh, the government has been issuing stimulus checks, and although we already had uh, a significant national debt, um, we, we've dramatically increased that. So we have fiscal worries on a, on a federal basis as well as you know, the casinos were closed for 90 days, and right now they're operating at a much lower capacity. So we have local community financial concerns. Folks were at home. So, you know, we have all this, you know, potential anxiety, downtime, increased consumption. So to me, for substance use disorders, we, we really have a, a, a terrible cir- a list of circumstances and, and I am beginning to see an increase in admissions uh, as a result of this. I think a lot of people in the UK, at least, kind of imagined that drug use and alcohol use would go down because of a lack of maybe access. Because obviously pubs and bars were closing, you know, public transport wasn't as accessible to go pick up drugs. Is, do you feel like that has been the case or if it has, has it even had an impact to people still been able to access those things? It, it was interesting. I, I participated a little bit while they were having policy discussions and, and the fact that uh, they didn't close or stop access to alcohol. Mm. Uh, you know, if, uh, if 9% of the population has uh has a substance use disorder, and and Nevada has three million people. You know, I have uh, I have close to three hundred thousand people who who need to drink or need to use, and 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 these people, uh, I I did notice, you know, the the fact that they kept dispensaries open, that the, the the fact that they kept the liquor stores open, that these were essential businesses. Um, you know, I, I recognize that the government had to do this or, or we potentially have tens of thousands of people going into withdrawal. Mm. So uh, I, I also remind people that I've treated many clients who maintained heroin uh, addiction uh, or, or heroin dependence while in a, a, a super max prison. So. To me, the people with a substance use disorder, we're going to get our substance. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there was a pandemic, uh, the fact that there's an economic crisis, uh, uh, in, in general, that does not stop uh, people from accessing 
certainly opiates, alcohol, methamphetamines. And I imagine if you're at home the whole time as well, say if you were working before this, you suddenly have the time to do these things more freely. You're not being kind of observed in a workplace. It's not as apparent that you might be struggling with addiction issues. So do you feel like maybe it's allowed, uh, trying to think of the correct way to put it, if, if someone was maybe starting to have a problematic relationship with drugs or alcohol, do you think that could have become worse in lockdown because it's easier for it to be kept secret? I 100% believe that to be true. You know, in, in addition, one of the symptoms of late stage substance use disorder is isolation. Mm. And the fact that we've had this government mandated isolation, it, it's really created an environment uh, to propagate substance use disorders. And when people have been seeking help and have been a- felt able to do that, how have rehabs and addiction centers been adjusting? Because I think you're right. People think maybe it's not safe to go to these places because it's so busy. There's, you know, as you said, 180 beds. What are rehabs able to do to kind of make it safe to get treatment? You know, people who come in to get substance use disorder treatment are are highly sensitive to the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a story I, I would tell that I noticed in treatment, in, in the third week of treatment, very frequently people would come to me and say, David, I need some tools. And I noticed that the people coming to treatment after a few weeks, once the, the fog has started to clear, very frequently the patients would want to fix something outside of themselves. And what I recognized that 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 was, was that as the reality of your, the cost, uh, the shame, the effects that the substance use disorder has had on your life, once once you separate from the substance for for a period of time, very frequently people want to focus on something else besides them, because the reality of some of the, uh, the decision-making and, and the occurrences from the substance use disorder are, uh, are, are particularly sensitive. Now, I say this because people in rehab, uh, you know, if, if there's a pandemic and there's a six-foot social distancing rule, I believe people in the supermarket will be less hypersensitive than the people in in treatment, in rehab. Mm. So, so we, uh, what we did is we, in the beginning of April, we hired uh, an additional staff member to wait out in front of our facility to do a temporal scan and to ask four questions to every person who would come in. And this is every employee, every client or, or potential client. Uh, we add an additional housekeeper uh, to keep chair rails, uh, nursing stations, doorknobs, countertops uh, sanitized on a regular basis. We, we put up plexiglass in our admissions area. Um, so social distancing, uh, we certainly supplied all our staff with PPE and mandated every client and every staff member to wear a mask 100% of the time, um, unless they're in their, their own room. Uh, but besides that, anytime they're in a, in a public area, they had to have a mask on. 
So we implemented a bunch of precautions. And, and since, you know, my staff is medical and clinical, uh, we, we did have many good role models and, you know, nursing staff who was used to this doing regular trainings. So we implemented, um, you know, many things to, to Im- improve uh, both the perception uh, as well as, uh, as the reality. And, and fortunately, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock on wood, uh, none, of my, uh, none of my clients and, and none of my uh, staff have come down with COVID-19 and I'm knocking on wood here. <laughs> that's fantastic. That That's really reassuring that there are safe places that you can get help and you're not completely isolated in this. Yeah. Uh, you know, another really the favorite thing about the facility I work at is, you know, in the U S the health insurance debacle really makes accessing mental health care very tricky. There's various federal programs, there's private insurance, there's, they all have, or generally all have prior authorization requirements, they have specific facility you can or can't go to, um, and, and it really forms a barrier to access treatment for someone with a substance use disorder, except our facility, we take all humans 24-7 if you're 18 and over. So for all adults, we welcome everybody. And, and we've done that through the entire pandemic. Now, I did have a few clients who showed up with a cough or with a, uh, a fever. And we're across the street from a hospital. So rather than allowing them to come in, we diverted them across the street. But um, we do help all humans. And, and it's something really important to me and my whole staff Um Sometimes we have an insurer or a healthcare provider that, you know, ends up not covering a person. But to us, it's more important to help every human uh, versus and, and get, you know, figure out how to get coverage from 95 percent of them versus, you know, turning a few people away. I think a lot of our listeners are from the UK. So we're so used to obviously having the NHS and having free healthcare that I think the US system seems so bizarre to us, to be completely frank. Can you talk us through really briefly, and I know it's a big question, the kind of barriers that paying for healthcare has to accessing uh, mental health and addiction treatment? Um. There's a whole lot of this. And, and I mentioned I used to run the, the largest uh, health insurance company uh, in, in the state. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I do have a, a significant amount of experience with this. Um, our prior president, uh, uh, Obama, implemented something called Obamacare, which provided health insurance to, uh, to really all Americans in some fashion. It really got expanded with Medicaid, um, and 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 the fact that now just about every person, if you don't have private insurance, gets deferred to a, a state or a federal program. It's really been a, a game changer for addiction. Mm-hmm. When I opened up my treatment center fourteen years ago, you know most clients who came in you know, had no means to pay and, and had no cov- and had no coverage. Now, I, I, you know, unless you're a, an undocumented um, immigrant, 
Um, all, all Americans have some form of health insurance. Now, it's not a walk in the park. They, most of them have these prior authorization requirements. Most of them have specific providers that you're allowed to access. Um, but, uh, but health insurance has dramatically changed over the last uh, six or eight years since the advent of Obamacare. Uh, another material difference is we have this Medicaid program. And while Medicaid went from tens of thousands of Nevadans in it to now uh, we're over 500,000, um, we've, we've had a dramatic shift from private insurance to the, the federal program uh, over the last just the last two years. Mm, and that changes everything. It just allows people to get the access they need, even though there are still obviously barriers to overcome and things that you have to get sorted. I want to just go back to kind of lockdown and the pandemic briefly. Um, I think, I'm not sure if it's really the same in the US, but in the UK, what's happening now is we're kind of easing out of a lot of the lockdown, returning to work, kind of returning to the old way of doing things. And a problem that a lot of people are being presented with is they suddenly are back into very stressful situations. They're back into environments where there is alcohol, you know, drugs are more accessible. Do you have any advice to someone who is maybe a bit worried about coming out of lockdown where they've been able to look after their mental health in a helpful way and are now going back into an environment where they don't necessarily feel safe. Yes. Um, and, and, and I really put folks into, into different categories. Everyone's different, but if, if you're in recovery from a substance use disorder and, and you have uh, em- embraced abstinence for a period of time, um, from my perspective, is perspective, it is very important to maintain that. Um, and, and whether you have familial or spiritual institution support, or you go to a, perhaps a twelve step support meeting, it's it's really important to to stay connected uh, to those systems. Um, uh, in addition, if you you know, if you have fitness regimens and, and most of us over the last four or five months, we've had to sort out, you know, are you doing a, a workout at home? Mm. Uh, you know, my, my wife, she does classes, uh, kickboxing classes by, by looking at her laptop and, and having a trainer. Uh, I, I go jogging in my neighborhood. So it's, it's really important to, to still maintain your, your physical health. Um, it, it's important to continue to to, to eat well, it's not, oh, there's a pandemic, so now the, the wheels have come off. At, at first, most of us thought this was going to be a, a, a highly temporary situation. Mm-hmm. And, and we're all now recognizing that this is, a, this is bringing about a new way of life. Yeah, I think it's so important to kind of maintain those routines and keeping the ways of life that maybe have been working for you over the past few months. I think my final question is just kind of related to the last one is if maybe in lockdown you came into it thinking I'm fine I've got a handle and everything but in lockdown you have found that maybe your relationship with alcohol or with drugs has been worsening and becoming a bit out of your control what advice do you have for 
getting help? What are kind of the first steps of realizing, okay, I might have a problem. What happens next? You know, most normal people, you know, don't ask that question. Mm -hmm. If you find yourself, you know, doing little quizzes on the internet, do I have an alcohol problem? Um, you know, just the fact that you're, you're questioning it is, is something to take seriously. Uh, something that is, they're very popular here are th- there's counselors, there's therapists, and there's, there's really um, very little downside for going to get an assessment. Mm-hmm. Uh, most assessments take 60 to 90 minutes. Most of them are covered by health insurance here. You know, I, I encourage folks, if you're, if you're wondering if you have a, a problem with pills or substances or alcohol, um, why not get an assessment and have an honest conversation with a therapist? Talk about your, your family history. Your, talk about the, the, the amount you consume, the effect it has on your family, on your work, on your physical health, on your relationships and your social uh, situation. And then, you know, get an honest assessment. Now, if, if uh, the therapist feels that, you know, you need some treatment, th- they'll be able to talk about it. And, and you get to make that decision uh, in conjunction with a therapist. So uh, I encourage people to be honest with themselves, recognize that denial is part of the disease. And, and that's why getting an assessment is really a helpful tool. I think I'm glad you said that as well, because I think people do imagine you go into a doctor or you just say, oh, I've been, I think my problem, I have an issue with drugs and you'll get kind of taken away and snatched and it will be out of your control. So I think it's really good that you said it's still a conversation. It will be up to you and there will be positives coming from that conversation. Yes. And let me mention another thing. Um, A lot of people go and they talk to their doctor about it. You know, I, to me, if you're going to take, get a substance use assessment, please spend a minute and go to someone who's trained in mm. substance use disorder treatment. Too often, I'll, I'll talk to, uh, to a doctor who, who may have gone to medical school and is very well trained, and, and I'll talk to them about a substance use disorder, and they'll tell me to, to suck it up or mm. I need to stop. Um, and, and I recognize that un- unless you are trained in the fatal progressive, you know, nature of a substance use disorder, uh, you, you may not be the best person at giving advice on it. So if you're going to get an assessment, go to someone who's who's trained in doing so. Oh, 100%. I think with any mental health issue, I think, I think so many of our listeners have spoken to a GP and had a kind of dismissive response back. So yeah, 100% go to a professional who knows what they're talking about with addiction and mental health. Agreed. Thank you. So this is goodbye from Mentally Yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from Thanks very much to Dave for chatting with us today. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've discussed, give the Samaritans a ring on 116-123. Catch you next week. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.